Hi, I'm Arlen Little Walker, and I am live from Pelham's Wasteland. And today, excuse me, I have got a couple of things for you guys. Um, I've got a call in or two that I'm going to respond to, and I am going to talk about a couple of things. Um, I'm going to ramble a bit, probably, but I also so I listened to an episode um, of my buddy Jason Connerly's podcast, Nerds RPG Variety Cast, and he had some interesting things to say that I wanted to sort of respond to. So, um, yeah, I think that is what this episode is going to be about. I'll probably also talk about last night was the uh, second episode of the Librem Society podcast that I'm doing with Jason Hobbs. So I'll probably talk a little bit about that. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just going to talk about some stuff and uh, get into it. So stay tuned. Hey, Arlen, thanks for that Beowulf overview, man. I can't believe I missed it. A 5e hack that sounds so far into my wheelhouse. It's unbelievable. Some awesome ideas by the sound of it. Ah, oh, listen, man, if you're playing that game and I'm available, let me know because I, uh, I would jump at that opportunity to play. It sounds absolutely amazing and Great job on growing your YouTube, by the way. As you know, I've been checking out a few of your videos, and uh, it's good stuff, mate. I particularly enjoy these overviews you do, so um, keep them coming. Take care. I'll catch you later. All right, my buddy Colin Spike Pit Green, calling in to uh, talk about Beowulf and stuff, and yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm glad I could alert you to the presence of uh, Beowulf Age of Heroes, Colin, and you guys will be happy to know that um, Colin and I have figured out a time to play some Beowulf. We're going to do a, a character creation session and then move on to a, um, a playing through the Hermit Sanctuary adventure. Um and I think I think the idea is to do basically two sessions, one character creation and one the Hermit Sanctuary, play for a little while and give Colin a chance to try out the game. Um, so, yeah, pretty cool stuff. Pretty cool stuff. Um, so I'm excited about that. It's always great to, to play with Colin. And we have done uh, we did a one-on-one -on -one play thing one time that was uh, Era, the epic storytelling game, and that was a lot of fun, too. Um, we just messed around with that, and it was a, a fun adventure. Um, so, yeah, we are going to be uh, doing that. And thanks, Colin, for uh, the... The praise, the congratulations for the YouTube growth. Yeah, we're up to 97 subscribers right now, which is really cool. Um, it's uh, it's great to have it uh, growing, and uh, you know, people people are watching videos. It's just, uh, it's chugging along, so that's really cool. Um, Anyway, so I hope that anybody, if anybody is listening to this podcast and is not subscribed to my YouTube channel, Live from Pelham's Wasteland, um, I hope you will at least consider going and subscribing to it because um, uh, 
I post a lot of other content there. Um, I a lot of especially uh, solo play stuff is what I've been doing recently, and um, yeah, it's pretty cool stuff. You can join a a vibrant community online that um, is full of a lot of cool people. So, anyway. That is that. Thanks for calling in, Colin. It's always great to hear from you, bud. And uh, we'll get to play soon. So, yeah. I should also mention that Colin also has a YouTube channel called Spike Pit, um, which is uh, he is putting out more and more content on there. So if you are interested in Colin's stuff, in addition to his anchor podcast called Spike Pit, you can go to his YouTube channel and subscribe and see the stuff that he puts out on YouTube. Anyway, um, let's get into sort of the main topic of discussion, which um, is based on... So my buddy Jason Connerly did an episode recently um, where he was talking about the idea of um, versatility based on race or species in RPGs and things like that and got some good comments and all that sort of stuff. And one of the things he talked about in his most recent episode was the idea of sort of differentiating cultures um, and how to do that in classic RPGs. And so one of the things he talked about specifically was Adventure Conqueror King system and the way that that system has uh, custom classes for a lot of the different demi-human races. So like the elves have a special kind of fighter class called like a blade dancer, I think. Um, and the dwarves have some custom classes and all that sort of stuff. And anyway... I thought it was really interesting as a discussion, partly because, in my opinion, um, a lot of these sort of OSR games, games on the sort of classic mold, are actually not that good at uh, doing this sort of thing, um, except through kind of exceptional things. Right, like in AD and D, a lot of what differentiates the different um, races or species. Um, or ancestries, I guess, is what I, I'm going to say. In the game, they're called races in, in AD&D. Um, but I'm going to call them ancestries just to, to talk about um, the concept more generally than to talk about that specific game. But anyway, in AD&D, at least in 2nd edition, a lot of what differentiates the different um, ancestries is sort of these special things that you get as a, a member of the ancestry. So like dwarves get a special bonus to magic and poison saving throws based on their constitution because they're uh, extra hardy and all of that sort of stuff. They can get a, a special bonus basically, um, which is neat. It's a, it's kind of a neat uh, way to differentiate, but it, um, means in some ways that there's sort of only one version of um, those ancestries that you can play, at least in the core book. Um, and what I mean by that is that, for instance, elves get a bonus to long swords and all bows. They get a plus one to hit with long swords and I think maybe with short swords and with all bows. Um, 
because that's one of the things that their culture kind of trains them in. And that's sort of cool in the sense of differentiation, but it means that all elven cultures within the game world have that particular focus, right? In the same way that the dwarves getting a bonus to attack orcs and goblins um, means essentially that all dwarf cultures in this world have a particular kind of history of fighting orcs and goblins, right? And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but it does seem to, in some ways to me, to sort of limit the options. So I was thinking about other ways to approach it. Now, the obvious way to me to approach it is to use a more skill-based system and um, have cultural differentiation based on skills. So like in um, something like a BRP game or Mithras, you could just say, okay, all members of X culture get like plus 10 or plus 15% to a specific set of skills. Um with the idea being that that's just what members of that culture get. You could even differentiate it further. You could say like, well, members of, you could have like a caste system if you wanted. You could have, you know, for instance, um, a caste system much like, uh, say, ancient India had with um, priests, warriors, farmers, untouchables. And you could say, okay, all members of this culture get certain skills and then members of each caste get a certain other bonus skills based on their membership in the caste as a way to really emphasize the idea that a character comes from a particular background, a particular part of the world, has particular experiences before being an adventurer that define what they can do. And another game that's really good for this, uh, One Ring is is just wonderful for this. All of the different um, backgrounds that you can choose, there's different um, heroic cultures is what they call them. And a heroic culture is sort of a combination of an ancestry and a culture. Um, in the sense that there's like Mirkwood Elves and there's like Bayornings, but there's also Woodsmen and Men of Minas Tirith and all of these different groups that all have different cultures and they all have slightly different, um, and they have, all have some different stuff. So for one thing, they have different kind of bonuses that they can pick, different um, cultural virtues that they can pick. There are some generic cultural virtues, but the really interesting ones are the um, non-generic, the culture-specific cultural virtues. And then there are also interesting cultural rewards. So you can, you know, there are, again, generic cultural rewards that every culture does, but then there are also specific ones. So, like, if you are a member of, I think the the woodsman can get a special, uh, almost like a ghillie suit cloak from Radagast that helps them hide better. Like, that's really cool. That's something kind of special and unique. And only members of that culture can ask for that reward because it is tied to the way that culture operates. But also, characters of that culture start off with different starting skills. So they have a specific background. Now, this took a lot of work to build, I'm sure, right? There's a lot of work that went into creating 
the um, particular heroic cultures of the One Ring because there is so much differentiation, because there's so much essentially cool stuff that every culture has. Um, there's a lot of design that went into designing all of these things. But on the other hand, the result is just wonderful because it gives a real sense that your character came from and belongs to a specific heroic culture within this world. Now, once again, you have the limitation that you can't really use it for anything other than the specific world it's designed for. But with the One Ring, I think that's less of a problem than it is for D&D, particularly in my mind, because One Ring is already, everything about it is designed for playing in Middle-Earth, whereas I think D&D is, I, I think it's not particularly... Um, contentious to say that D&D is a much more generic game than the One Ring is, and therefore we might come in with an expectation that we could use it for different um, homebrew worlds or or the, the GM's particular world or things like that, rather than necessarily needing to use the um, specific world that it is designed for, the way that the One Ring is really only designed to play in Middle-Earth. Anyway, um, so what I'm getting at is different ways. So another thing that came to mind is to use 5e backgrounds. Um, 5e backgrounds, for those of you who don't know, generally give you a little bit of equipment and um, a couple of proficiencies and a, um, whatchamacallit, a, uh, a special feature, um, a something like a class ability often that gives you something. So for instance, in my Beowulf solo game, um, Redwald, my Redwald, my character is an Avenger. Um, his people were wiped out by monsters and so he scours the earth to fight monsters and um that gives him a special feature that when reduced to zero hp he can immediately bump himself up to one hp once per long rest which is really cool right that's something that is sort of flavorful right the idea that he's you know so driven by um the revenge that he can kind of keep fighting even when he shouldn't otherwise be able to. That's pretty neat. So if you, for instance, wanted in 5e to differentiate the um, character cultures, what I would do is create custom backgrounds and maybe even make them a little bit um, more powerful than the base game backgrounds because you would expect that the custom backgrounds, if you're going to enforce them, are likely to um, not always use the most... Um, advantageous skills and stuff. So for instance, what I would say is like, for instance, if you had an elf background that all elves of a certain culture got, I would give it three proficiencies, three skill proficiencies instead of two, because it's more likely. And if you spread, if as long as they're spread out, because it's more likely that the character who is playing an elf, they could be a wizard and want those intelligence proficiencies, or they could be a cleric and want those um, 
wisdom proficiencies or they could be, you know, a fighter or a rogue or whatever else, basically. Basically, what I'm saying is that I think you could make some interesting backgrounds and then also you could um, shift the class uh, distributions, right? So you could say, like, for instance, only characters of these certain cultures. So you could say, for instance, all cultures can have fighters because fighters are a pretty standard thing, but only characters of certain cultures can be barbarians. And I think that would be an interesting way and maybe even um, choose specific um, subclasses that are locked or unlocked based on culture or background. I think that would be an interesting way to suggest the idea that this is a world where there are kind of strong cultures that define how a um, how a character functions in the world, right? In addition to these backgrounds, I think the background system actually would work really well to just overlay on the base game. But if you wanted to also do this stuff with classes, you could create, you know, you could say, for instance, okay, elves from this wood, they can be these different classes and they can choose and they're all going to choose this specific background or one of these three backgrounds or something like that. Um, and that's going to be how they create their character. And because so the backgrounds in particular, one of the things that's really cool is because they're relatively simple. They're pretty easy to create, right? They only give a couple of things, and you could um, pretty easily use um, just kind of mix and match from backgrounds that already exist to create the the specific um, blend of abilities and proficiencies and equipment that you want the character to get from their background. Um but yeah, I think you could do something really interesting with that. Um, all of that stuff to create a um, much more flavorful game in the sense of having um, character cultures that matter a lot more to the game than they often do in uh, base game D&D. So that's an idea. And you could easily uh, kind of backport that concept to earlier more osr games right you could say like you know okay well in this world not only do elves get a bonus to dexterity and a penalty to constitution but they also get like you know this specific feature for being elves and you could even have like two or three special features for being elves of different classes right you could have an elf who grew up um, focused on learning or an elf who grew up focused on being like a ranger or an elf who grew up being focused on like kind of uh, charisma nobility stuff. And you could say like, okay, these are sort of three different special features that you can choose from based on the history of your character um, and fit that in to a, an already existing game. So anyway, I think that's just a sort of um, kind of a blend of ideas, a lot of different ideas. I will also mention Pendragon does a really good job of suggesting the culture that the character came from because a culture is basically just a skill list for uh, Pendragon. It's basically just here's the skills that you get 
as a squire um, by coming from this particular culture. And then you make a couple of choices and spend a couple of skill points to tinker with those skills. Um, but ultimately, it's it's really not that hard to create other uh, cultures, essentially, um, in something like Pendragon, because you can just say, okay, this culture ought to be a little better at singing and a little worse at writing. So we're going to bump down writing by two and bump up singing by two. And okay, that's that's how this culture operates. Or you can do like some of the custom Pendragon um, cultures do and say, okay, this culture has a specific skill that governs, you know, essentially what two or three other skills govern. So instead of having in 5.2, there's heraldry and recognizing. Those are two separate skills. Recognize is basically for people's faces and heraldry is for their coat of arms. You could say, and this is actually what 6th edition does. 6th edition combines those two skills into one skill, which I think makes a lot of sense. But if you were playing 5.2, you could say, okay, this particular culture, um, for whatever reason, uses one skill to govern both of those things. And so they have, um, uh, we could call it people knowledge or something. And so instead of having to put points into two skills, Characters from that culture only have to put points into the one skill. So it's a little more efficient for them to be good at that skill. So that's kind of an interesting way to define how that character behaves and how it how that character will function based on their culture. Right? So that's really cool, in my opinion. Anyway, that's just some ideas about how to make kind of cultures and make demi-humans in some ways uh, feel less. I think one of the... well. I'm going to pause the recording here, and then I'm going to get back into this discussion in a moment um, and talk about kind of why I think all this is important. All right. So with all that in mind about how you might go about creating kind of interesting cultural differentiation and things like that, why would you want to do that? I think there are a couple of obvious reasons why. Um, the first and sort of the biggest one is to create diversity and detail for the world, for the peoples, and for the characters. By creating cultural backgrounds, you tie the character to something in the world, and so you give the player something to latch on to. But you also create a... Um, a sort of more varied tapestry for the world itself that you don't just have one of the common things I think that can happen with um, fantasy role-playing games is that humans feel very generic and very blank slate-y and demi-humans often feel very monolithic that you know all dwarves are grumpy and it's like this and it seems unlikely that all dwarves would be grumpy now it's possible that the bell curve is a little different for dwarves that their you know grumpiness bell curve is a little more towards the grumpy than the cheery side whereas in humans it's more kind of at the middle if that makes sense just as a, a species if they're sort of built like that on some level but it also seems to me to make sense to make the idea that maybe it's a cultural thing because there are certainly you know one of the things for instance uh a lot of southerners in the u.s can think that um, Northerners can be curt and cold and a little grumpy when that's just really a cultural difference, right? That people in the South, you know, if you see somebody, 
you say hi versus people in the north often you just kind of go about your way and don't interact or you see this also as kind of culture shock between like um people in Europe and people in the US that, you know, people in Europe often have, a, especially like Germans have a tendency to be seen as kind of cold or curt um, or even rude when it's just really a cultural difference, right? It's not like there's some, you know, strong genetic difference that makes the people behave differently. It's just a, a sort of cultural difference. And I think by building in those sort of cultural differences to your world, you create something, you create that verisimilitude, right? That it um, verisimilitude is, is not feeling real, but feeling truthful, right? Truthiness, as one of my professors would put it. Um, that by um, creating that diversity, you increase the truthiness of the world. And you make a good way for the player to have something to latch onto for their own creativity. That's another big thing, is that the player who has some... I think it often helps um, to create with guidance, right? Writing a short story with no idea where you're going to go is very difficult, but writing a short story with some kind of like, you know, some place to start or an outline of what you want to work on or say or something like that, that's much easier. Um, even if you only have a little bit of guidance, that can help. And I think having those kind of cultural differentiations can provide guidance where the game doesn't uh, necessarily provide any guidance really about that sort of thing. I think this is one of the reasons why certain games, so for instance, Conan 2D20 does a wonderful job of this because you get such an interesting and varied um, character from rolling on the random tables to create a Conan 2D20 character. You end up with a really interesting character and that's really cool. Um, so those are those are some of the big reasons why you might want to. There's also some other things like, for instance, that um, I think it can be um, a, a good way to introduce people to the world, to have these kind of backgrounds to say, like, you know, in this world, elves are not all um, tree-loving hippies. They're a little bit different than that. And these backgrounds reflect that mechanically and also reflect that idea um, in a way that the, the players can reflect on and kind of think about what do they want to do with that information. So I think there's a lot of, I think there's a number of reasons and there's good reasons why you might want to create that kind of differentiation and diversity within your game and your world and your um, characters and all of that sort of stuff. So yeah, that is uh, that for this section. Um, I am now going to talk a little bit about the Librem Society because we recorded episode two last night and then it'll be the outro. All right. I wanted to just say a little bit about the Librem Society episode two um, for a couple of reasons. The biggest one being it was super fun. Um, so we it was me and Hobbs and we had a guest, Forrest Aguirre or Aguirre. Um, who is a um, friend of Hobbes, is a published author, 
writes um, game modules. I think a number of them for Dungeon Crawl Classics, maybe. Um, anyway, really cool dude. Was wonderful to to get to know him, to talk to him. Um, so that was really fun. And um, talking about the Hollow Land by William Morris was super fun. Um, it was great to just get to to chat about a story that I really like um, with some other you know clever people that like that story too. Uh, I think Hobbes didn't like it quite as much as uh, Forrest and I liked it, um, just because just from what he said about it, because um, we did we had a couple of sections we didn't I think do a um, terribly we did it a little more freeform than we had sort of drawn it up i had created a sort of episode plan and um we followed a fair bit of that but i think we could uh stand to take another look at that plan and say okay this is what we want to uh do for um, next time, next time that we have a guest, next time that we're doing a non-Malazan episode, um, cause the Malazan episodes and the non-Malazan episodes have a little bit of a different structure. Um, I think just because the Malazan episodes, we're, um, following along with the, the whole story of the Malazan book of the fallen versus the other ones we're doing, you know, like short stories and novellas or um, chunks of, of other novels. And so we want to talk a little bit about um, some other stuff, right? We don't need to introduce Steven Erickson every time for the Malazan episodes because he wrote all the Malazan books. And so we can expect that if people are following along, they know a little bit about Steven Erickson probably. But yeah, Leave Room Society was a ton of fun. Um, it was really good. It went a little bit long, but that's okay. Um, I think uh, Hobbs and I need to talk. So Hobbs and I are going to meet this weekend sometime and um, chat about our uh, sort of ideas and plans for the Leave Room Society, what we want to do next, what we want the reading schedule to be like, Um how we want to go about uh, doing doing the show, really. Um, so yeah, we're gonna we're gonna chat about that, and I'm excited about doing that and getting a better sense of kind of the the whole kind of holistic plan for the show. Now that we've done it a couple times, um, I think we can. Um, yeah, I think we're. I think we both had a lot of fun doing it and it seemed like Forrest had a lot of fun doing it and that was great. Um, it's always super fun to uh, talk books in my opinion. I, you know, I really like talking about uh, literature and that sort of stuff. So that was great. Um, the William Morris story itself, I didn't remember it that well when I picked it, but reading it again, it was uh, just wonderful. It's a, it's a really um, a story that I really like. There's a lot of kind of wonder and sort of some magical stuff, but it's, and it's, I think the term that I used last night was, uh, unfailingly beautiful. And I think that really applies that it is just, um, constantly full of these, um, beautiful pieces of imagery or phrases or little bits of the story that are just wonderful, um, and so I really liked 
doing that. Um, I'm enjoying reading Malazan also. I'm, I'm having fun going back to Malazan after having read it in high school and um, feeling like I have a better sense of what's going on than the first time just because of what I remember about the story. Even though I don't remember a ton about it, I do remember enough to kind of give me an edge, essentially. Um, and yeah, it's... Uh, it's fun. It's a good. It's a good story. I'm not usually one for series. Uh, Forrest sort of talked about that, and I, I felt the same way as he was talking that um, last night. That um, I'm I'm really not usually one for series, just because I feel like so many series are really um, bloated and that they get um, wrapped up in themselves and just aren't as good as standalone stories often um, because they are bloated essentially. Um, so I don't read a whole lot of series nowadays. Um, although I've, I've read a couple um, and I read when I read series, it's more like series of standalone stories, something like, like for instance, Carl Edward Wagner's Kane stories that I've been enjoying a lot. Um, those are all basically standalone stories that are um, using the same character, sort of like Howard's Conan stories. And I like that because um, I think that helps with the, the bloat and the, the difficulties of writing a really good um, larger series. But anyway, um, yeah. So Leave Room Society, it was really fun. Um, I'm excited for Malazan next week. And then we've got another guest for the week after. So Hobbs and I need to figure out what we're actually going to read for that episode of the Leave Room Society. And then we can, um, I'm hoping that Hobbs and I will be able to put together a, uh, a schedule and share it out with um, the, the people who are interested in the Libram Society. And that way people will know what they have to read and how much they have to read and all that sort of stuff with some advance warning rather than having it be um, kind of thrust upon them in the 11th hour. Um, so that people are able to, um, yeah, to, to show up and have read the series and, and share their thoughts and do the whole live stream thing. Um, because it's a, that's the idea, a literary live show about uh, particularly, especially fantasy literature, but not just fantasy literature, because there's a lot of other stuff that it's about, too, in a lot of ways. Um and, and a lot of other stuff that gets touched on in Malazan or that we talk about. So yeah, Leave Room Society. It was super fun. If you have not caught, I don't know when Hobbs is going to put out the audio episodes for the podcast version, but if you have not caught um, the live stream, if you didn't get to watch it live, you should definitely be on the lookout for the um the show in terms of uh, the the audio version, because I know Hobbs is going to put out the audio at some point. And um, for anybody who is listening back, who likes podcasts, that can be a good way, obviously to listen to our ramblings and ruminations on um, 
this fantasy literature. So, yeah, um, I think we're ready for the outro. All right. I hope you have enjoyed another episode of Live from Pelham's Wasteland. Um, I will just say, if you are not watching my YouTube channel, you should check it out because it is pretty cool, if I say so myself. I've got um, a number of, in particular, solo uh, actual play episodes that I'm working on playing some solo campaigns, which is a lot of fun. Um, it's it's really cool. So I've been sharing that on YouTube. And um, if you are not watching that, uh, maybe you should check it out because, yeah, it's pretty cool. So, um, yeah, I hope you have enjoyed this episode of the podcast. If you want to get in contact with me, I am on Twitter at Cows from Powis. I am here on Anchor, and you can leave a voice message like Colin did. And I am on YouTube. Live from Pelham's Wasteland is the YouTube channel. And I'm on Discord. And if you're listening to this podcast, you are probably on some of the same Discord servers. So, yeah, hit me up and... Uh, let me know what you think and all that sort of stuff. I've been Arlen Walker. I've been live from Helen's Wasteland, and I will see you next time. Take care, everybody. <laughs>